So as uh, as Colton said, I'm going to be uh, pitch hitting for him today, and he'll be back in the pulpit next week. Uh, it's understandable. He wants to take some time off. Um, but before we get into the Word, I just want to pray. Uh, Father God, we pray that your Spirit will come, Lord God. We pray that you will, you will bless us, that you will pour out your Spirit without measure, Lord God, that you will speak to us and work in our hearts. Let's pray that you will be with me as I preach, Lord God, that only what you want said will be said, Lord God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 23, which is without a doubt, as Colton alluded to, uh, one of the most well-known chapters of the Bible. But before we get into it, I want to briefly take the psalm, very briefly take it, and put it into the context of the entire Bible, and specifically the two passages we read, the one in Ezekiel and the one in John. Uh, So these two other passages, they really help us to understand and interpret and apply what David, the author of this psalm, is writing, and to put it within the storyline of the entire Bible. So in Ezekiel, a little before the passage we read, uh, we have the, a God through the prophet Ezekiel, and he's criticizing the leaders of Israel. He's criticizing them for their chronic failures to lead the people well. He criticizes them for failing to lead in accordance with what God wanted for his people. But the passage ends with a promise, and it ends with a promise that God himself was going to come and fix this, right? that God was going to come personally and shepherd his people. He was going to come. He was going to seek out his sheep. He was going to bring back the lost. He was going to bind up the injured. He was going to strengthen the weak. He was coming to be a better shepherd, to be a better leader, uh, to be a better leader to his people than the earth leaders ever had been, ever would be, or ever could be. Then fast forward 700 years. We have a passage in John And we have Jesus declaring to his disciples, to his followers, that he is one with the Father, that he is this good shepherd, declaring himself to be the fulfillment of what was promised, and that he was there to shepherd his sheep. So as we go into Psalm 23, keep this in mind. The psalm is about a person. It's about God, but it is about Jesus as well, Jesus in particular. And when you reflect very deeply on it, it becomes clearer and clearer to the point where one commentator I read, even said that for Christians, they could easily read this, the Lord Jesus is my shepherd. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd. So with that in mind, we're going to jump into the text, starting at verse 1. If you want to follow along, Psalm 23, starting at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just pause here for a few minutes. This very first declaration by David is that the Lord is his shepherd. And what follows to the rest of the psalm, which we will work through, is David flushing out all the things that it means. What does it mean for the Lord to be our shepherd? But there are two things I want to pull out of this first verse. The first is, following Jesus is a personal relationship. You will note that David, when he wrote the psalm, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, is my. There is a relationship between the Lord Jesus and David, and it is personal. He says, my. He doesn't say that Jesus is like a shepherd or he is a shepherd. He is my shepherd. He declares that it is, 
it is personal. He has ownership of it. And in our passage in John, Jesus says in reference to himself, he says, the sheep, they hear my voice. He calls his sheep out by name and he leads them. We have a God who knows our names. He knows us personally. He seeks us out individually and he leads us into personal and intimate relationships with him. So years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine and he wasn't a Christian and the topic of the Christian faith came up and I asked him if there was anything he wanted to know. And, you know, he very honestly responded. I mean, <laughs> it was a bit of a clever response, to be honest, but he honestly said, I would be open to knowing more about Jesus, but I don't want to know Jesus. And there are people like this, and there are probably people like this in the church, right? Uh, they grow up in, in the church, they grow up going to Sunday school, they grow up going to a uh, youth group, they know a lot of information about Jesus, and may even give mental assent to it, that this you know, sounds like a good idea, but the personal relationship is not there. They never, know, uh, they never move from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. And I want to drive this point home because it's incredibly important, right? The Christian faith is not knowing things about Jesus. It is about knowing Jesus. Several weeks ago, Colton encouraged us to take stock of where we are with Christ, and I want to encourage the same. You know, is your religion just a collection of information, tradition, and practice, or is it something deeper, a relationship with a person? And I don't want to say that, you know, study and so on isn't important. It certainly is. You know, studying and knowing and learning more about God can help deepen that relationship, uh, but information in and of itself is insufficient. It needs to move beyond academic knowledge and become a living and active faith that is deeper and transformational, a faith that leads us to the point where we can, with David, declare, the Lord is my shepherd. The second thing I want to pull out of this first, uh, first two verses is that it is only God that can fulfill our deepest desires. The, uh, David ends, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We didn't read it, but in Psalm chapter, or John chapter 6, the chapter starts off with Jesus performing a miracle and feeding 5,000 people with a little bit of fish and bread. And the next day, all the people show up and track Jesus down, and he spends some time teaching them, and it's a bit of a rebuke he gives them. And he rebukes them because the only reason they came after him is because they got a good meal. But he tells them that they should seek after him because he is the bread of life and they are to feed on him, not, not physical uh, kind of earthly bread, but spiritual bread of Jesus. And that he is the only one who can give them life and he is the only one who can truly satisfy them, saying that they will never hunger or thirst. You see, it is only Jesus who can truly satisfy us. We have been built for him, and regardless of whatever else we try, nothing else can satisfy our deepest wants. And we all try. I'm sure we have all bought something or took up a hobby or something else, uh, thinking it would be fun and make us happy, only to find after some time that it doesn't really bring us deep, meaningful joy and satisfaction. It is only Jesus that can bring that. He brings life. He brings fulfillment. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever comes to me shall never thirst. Jesus promises that in him, and him only, 
can we find a never-ending, infinitely satisfying life where we can truly say, I shall not want. So continuing our text, picking it up at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And just pause here briefly. Wherever God leads us, wherever he leads us, it's always good for us. The psalmist uses the picture of green pastures and still waters, which for a sheep is everything that they need to thrive. And Jesus leads us in the same. And where he leads us, it may not always be easy, but it is always good for the follower. And we can trust God to provide what is truly good for us. Uh, In James 1, they write, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And the sense is that even our trials can be used to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith, and in the words of James, to make us perfect and complete. Continuing at verse 3 in Psalm 23. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So just pause here. So again, we are never promised anywhere in the Bible that life will be easy. David, who wrote the psalm uh, while being a king, uh, and and a man who is described as being after uh, God's own heart, he also had terrible flaws. He committed terrible evil in his life, and at times he also suffered terribly. He had people trying to kill him. He had to flee into the wilderness. Family members die. But through it all, he acknowledges that he can take comfort knowing that the good shepherd is with him, guiding him and protecting him. He writes about the staff, which is a big stick the shepherds had that they could use to grab sheep that were going astray and pull them back. And he talks about protecting them with his rod, which was a weapon to protect the sheep from wild animals. And the message for us, all right, the message for us is that there is no place we can stray to. There is no place we can stray to. We can never be too far gone that we are beyond the reach of Jesus. To him, reach out and pull us back. And most Christians don't have a linear path. We go through times of doubt, spiritual dryness, sin, times where we feel we've walked away. But God always seeks out his sheep and pulls his children back to him. Similarly, there's no place too dark, no evil we can commit or experience that puts us beyond the protection of Jesus. Jesus promises in the gospel that he will not lose a single sheep. He will not lose a single follower. He will seek and he will find and he will shepherd every single person who puts his faith in him and he never fails. In Philippians 1, it says, I am sure of this, that he, that is Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus will save his sheep. He will get all of them across the finish line. Right? But saving his sheep, it came at a great cost. In our text, back to verse 3, David wrote, He restores my soul. And we know how he did that. 
In the passage in John, Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, which is what Jesus came and did as our good shepherd, restoring our souls to God. You see, Jesus came and walked through the darkest of valleys. He truly tasted every part of the curse of death. He was brutally physically murdered. He was forsaken by God. He descended to hell, and he did it willingly. He did it willingly so his sheep didn't have to. He had a plan with his father where he stands in front of us, absorbing all the wrath, all the punishment, all the evil, declaring that we are his and giving us his righteousness so that there's no longer any condemnation for those in Christ. There is restoration for our souls. And for us, we only live with just the shadow of death hanging over us, just a shadow. Yes, death to our earthly bodies, but an eternal life with a restored soul. Continuing on at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We now see a shift in location. We are no longer sheep in the wilderness, but now guests at a banquet. And not just any guests, honored guests, anointed by Jesus himself. Instead of a shadow of death and a dark valley, we have goodness and mercy and a banquet. And this is the inheritance for the children of God with our restored souls living out our lives like we were originally meant to live, spending eternity eternity living in in an infinitely satisfying life, closely with God, with no death, no pain, no sadness. And just in closing, I want to zoom out and look at the psalm as a whole. This entire psalm is virtually all about what God does. It's virtually all about what God does. It is God who shepherds. It is God who provides what we need. It is God who restores. It is God who leads. It is God who prepares a way for us. It is God who gives us rest. It is God who is actively bringing his sheep through to the end. And there are only two things that it says we do in this psalm. Only two things. We walk through the darkness, and then we dwell in the place that God has prepared for us. And when you put those two together, you see a great picture of the Christian life. As we transitorily travel through this life with its ups and downs and challenges, the good and the bad, but being shepherded into a glorious inheritance that God brings us to, a place where we live with Jesus, truly satisfied for all eternity. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, I just thank you that you are the good shepherd. Lord God, I thank you that it's not by our own strength that we get through, but that you lead us and guide us. Just pray, Lord God, that you will bless the rest of our service here today and the rest of our day. In Jesus' name, amen.